There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your man, Chris Mechanic, here with a really, really interesting guest today that I'm excited to speak with. Um, This is a guy who came up uh, in the mobile advertising space for the most part, had his own company, grew it, um, to a nice run rate, sold it, and then um, to Game House, has been a mentor at Techstars for over 10 years, so he must have seen a lot, and then somehow uh, got into B2B. So now he's a B2B marketing leader uh, at Flex, where he's been for about eight years and just really kind of rapidly ascended, um, it seems there, at Flex to uh, basically the highest marketing position. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. Uh, SVP of Marketing at Flex, Mr. Ryan Morell. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Great. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you, man. Um, I It just kind of clicked for me just now that your background is in mobile ads. And uh, so I'm really curious about like, how do you go from mobile ads, which is, I imagine, mostly B2C, um, over to the B2B side? Like, how did that happen? Uh, yeah, so it's both surprising and not surprising. Uh, and so let me explain. So I, I actually started in mobile in gaming. So way back when, when you would buy a flip phone or Nokia, whatever from you know, AT&T, Verizon, et cetera. And I worked for a company that made games that were available, uh, to download from those stores. So like really tiny sort of one button games, right? Yeah. Um, so that's where I started. And then the iPhone came out and obviously that exploded in the app store and sort of all the content that was available. And we did that. And then, uh, we saw an opportunity, uh, to start something is specifically around location-based advertising. Um, that is ultimately a two-sided network, right? You have one side of the network is advertisers and the other side of the network is publishers or content owners, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and you become an intermediary in the uh, as an ad tech, as an ad tech provider, that's what you're mm-hmm. basically intermediary yeah. in, in the marketplace. Okay. Right. Um, so when we sold that to game house, I got in, uh, there were people around that business helping us define how we were going to apply the technology and the learnings that we had built previously, um, to that business. And through that process, I met, uh, one of the founders of, uh, flex actually gotcha. so just, just over 10 years ago. And, he was in the process of starting Flex uh, at exactly that time. I got to know him really well. And when my my time was up at Gamehouse, him and I had obviously stayed in touch over a number of years. And um, he asked if I would, would come join this very small startup in the warehousing space. Yeah. Uh, and it was the rest is obviously, history. yeah, the rest is history. But the important part is like, you know, yes, it is different B2C versus B2B. Of course, it's different. Uh, yeah. But the fundamentals of like marketplace and sort of network driven businesses are there, there's a lot of similarities, regardless of whether it's an ad tech play or um, what Flex does in enterprise logistics or yeah. Uber, right? It's a, it's a marketplace business. Cool. Well, I want to hear all about Flex as well, but you know, our audience is all about those secrets. Um, yeah. I'm really curious, what do you consider to be one of your best kept uh, secrets to marketing success? Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I answer this with quotes? Sure. Sure. Okay. I, so I actually have two quotes. Um, the first, and this is sort of just a, a principle of mine uh, that I'll, I'll apply back to marketing in a second is, uh, and I don't remember who said these quotes for originally, so we'll start there. Like one is, uh, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you a fool than to open your mouth and prove them right. <laughs> right? So that's like <laughs> quote one. Uh, and, and the second is, uh, it's, I think it's widely misattributed to Mark Twain, um, but it's some version of, so I, I, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I ran out of time. Yeah. And I, 
the, the context is important here. So let me explain why I think these are the secret. Like one, it is all of our instinct uh, as marketers, as leaders, as professionals. And this is, this is true uh, as a result of years and years of conditioning um, to do more, to say more, to talk as much as you can. Like that's what marketing people do. We have, we're excited about what we're marketing. We're excited about what our company does. And so we want to talk about it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that instinct is one that everybody needs to fight as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because what that results in is you one having too much content, too much thinking, too many words, too creative, too clever, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because you yeah. haven't thought deeply about what you're actually trying to say, like on a consistent and ongoing basis. Yeah. So, you know, I would assume, you know, some people could hear that and sort of roll their eyes and be like, oh, okay, there's another guy talking about brevity. Like, yes, brevity is important. Um, but there's as much, can I swear? But okay. Sure. I'm assuming yeah. there's as much shitty brief content as there is shitty long content. And being short and brief doesn't make it good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like being super thoughtful with your language and the words you choose and being consistent with them over long periods of time, like that's where the magic is. (laughs) Um, That's the important part. And, you know, we spend at Flex an inordinate amount of time on, on what we write, how we say it, how we write it, how we, how we then verbalize it. Um, Because we know when we can create brief, yes, but also impactful and clear messages yeah um in the voice of our customer like words they would probably use hopefully yeah um that drives meaningful results like i've I've heard multiple stories from folks in the field who come back from a meeting and say connor this giant customer who's got things coming at him from all over the place literally regurgitated our messages to them like oh well that's like that's the goal (laughs) yeah Uh, and we didn't get there by just throwing up on a page. Yeah. Uh, we got there by being super thoughtful and careful about what we were going to put out, what it included, what it said, and how we're going to be consistent about it. Yeah. And that was a question that I had for you because um, it can be difficult. I mean, very difficult to tell the extent to which your messages are resonating. So I was wondering, like, so say that, you know, you spend a lot of time really tightening up the copy really you know thinking through the messaging and you deploy it very very thoughtfully across your instances like uh how do you then like know if it's working or not yeah yeah so i mean there's it's hard there's there's no silver bullet right so we do a number of things one is um we get feedback from the field like okay what messages do land what don't (laughs) yeah Uh, that's an easy one and it's qualitative of course it is um but that's our best for us that's the best way for us to know if it's landing in the face of a customer yeah Um, there's other things we do around just you know just like basic a b testing (laughs) uh our denominators are a little small right like we don't sell to a ton of companies we don't have millions of data points. We have thousands or hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Um, but we do use that channel. And then we do probably not as consistently as, as we'd like to run a new studies where we'll go out to the market and ask about their attitude and awareness, how they think about us. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we do voice of the customer programs to hear from them, how they position and perceive us. Yeah. Um, so we have a bunch of different inputs. There's no right answer. Yeah, um, but we have found that the most valuable one is just feedback from the field, what our customers say to us. Yeah, and I mean, it's such a difficult undertaking. Content in general, you know, like it's if there's a website being redesigned and that website is delayed, it's always because of the content. Like nine times out of ten, it's like because yep. there's multiple stakeholders. It's very important. There's a tendency from people that. They sort of feel like it's carved in stone, even though the opposite is actually true. But then there's a legitimate concern that like you don't want to put a message out that misses the mark. So you you know yes. the the tendency is to really think about it. Um, and it is such a very important thing, but it's daunting given 
like the amount of content, you know, like you've got your content on LinkedIn, on your website, you've got hundreds of pages on your website. Like yep. how, how should one approach that project? How do you even like get started on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an important uh, point that I missed in my sort of secret part is that you have to have a story and that story has to have a structure and you have to understand uh, which channel is telling which part of the story um, and what copy you're going to use. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if you're starting from a blank page, a website refresh or a website update is a nightmare. Like you can't ever get it done. But if you know what your story is, your customer-centric specific story, um, then you can just start piecing that and breaking that apart uh, uh, to help inform where you're going to put particular pieces of content, what you're trying to get somebody to do, right? Ultimately, you're just trying to move someone from the start of the story to the end of the story. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that's, that, that is sort of our organizing principle is to have that tenant or to have that uh, story uh, really well-written um, which we can then pull pieces out of and put in specific places. Mm, so interesting. Uh, the first time you do it for a website is obviously hard. And then as you refresh and you refresh your story, you refresh the content, it, it becomes quite a bit easier. So what, what does the story sound like? Like, yeah, yeah give us so, an example. Like what's a story either for flex or for yeah. Apple computer, like, like, what does that story sound like? Yeah. So, I mean, stories follow a specific arc, like every good story does, right? There's like what's happening in the world. Uh, what are the challenges in that world? Um, what happens if you can overcome these challenges? How customers describe their solution to them? And there's the solution in that. You know, her proof is an example. That's one way to do it. There's tons of stuff on LinkedIn about Disney storytelling structure and how you can apply that to uh, your business. Pixar, right? Apple, they, they, those all exist. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the important part is like what makes a good story versus a bad story. And uh, as I tool around and look at different companies, the uh, the at least in, from my perspective, the clear thing that separates a good story from a bad story is who the story is about. <laughs> And uh, if you go look at a lot of companies' websites, especially some of the ones that are uh, earlier in their uh, uh, career, earlier in their life cycle as a business, they tend to be very focused on them mm -hmm. um, and not on the customer. Yeah, me, me, me. <laughs> me, here's what I do. Here's what I do. Here's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, here's the feature. Blah. Like, God, no one cares. Uh, and when you... Like you have to do that stuff. Of course you do. Um, but ultimately your story is about, it has to be about the customer and how you solve their problems. Um, and so that requires you being clear on what their problems are <laughs> and talking to customers and understanding what the impacts are, um, how, how they describe them, how they describe their solution, et cetera. Like, so, you know, you can have a story in a particular structure and execute it well, but if it's, not based on like the actual customer then it's sort of all for not yeah that makes a lot of sense so customers got to be at the center of the story there's got to be yep. some drama to it so there's got to be some problems like it should start basically with their problems uh and then point to some different potential solutions and then swoop around finally with your solution yeah, I mean that's framework. that that's that's a way to I mean there's lots of different frameworks. Yeah, um, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because like a lot of people talk about storytelling. I'm trying to and I know I've seen really good examples of it and I know I've experienced really good examples of it like without without ever really hearing the whole story chronologically like you kind of get a sense of what that story is sometimes probably when yeah. it's done really well. Yeah. Like who do you, like what famous brands do you think do it really well? Like in their yeah. own marketing, like the Starbucks, like what's Starbucks's story? Yeah. Uh, well, I think to your, to your point, I don't know that anyone, any of us could articulate the best stories that they're telling us, right? Like Apple's obviously extremely good at it. Yeah. Um, Starbucks is pretty good at it. Like the, the brands that are really Coke is pretty good at it. You know, like, of course they are. Mm -hmm. um, but those are all like B2C brands. Right. Yeah. 
And that's a different, that's a little bit of a different thing. Um, so I think there are some, there are some brands that are B2B that are, that are pretty good at it. You know, to be honest, I don't know that I could name one. I think as you think about like really big companies, it gets really hard. Um, you know, think about big enterprise software companies. They sell a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, I think Microsoft has gotten quite good at it. Um, yeah. they've refined their focus over the last few years to be focused on the cloud and enabling, um, their customers to use their products across devices. Like that story has clearly resonated. Um, so I think more important, it's easier to spot the bad ones and the good ones are just sort of ingrained in your brain. Yeah. Well, you gave me an idea. You know how sometimes you'll see large B2B B2B brands like IBM, for instance, uh, advertising on network television. Yeah. Like I think they were, they ran that one commercial where it was like the baby was clicking the buy button repetitively. And then back at the factory, they're like, guys, like orders are just going bananas. Like, yeah. And it showed this whole thing where like the trucks are coming, you know, and then it flashes back to the baby just going bing, 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 bing. Yeah. I think that was IBM. I'm not sure, but that's, kind of a story right that's saying like yep. hey like like let us do your business intelligence you know like we'll separate we'll help you separate the signal from the noise like you yep. need us so that you don't you know experience this <laughs> mistake yeah. that this company experienced and they kind of never even say like ibm is the best they just like hit their logo at the end yep yep yeah or like yeah, a logo right. and a tagline basically yep yeah I mean, I think one of the mistakes, uh, everybody does this. I do this. We all do this is you try to tell the whole story every time. Yeah. That's not possible. Right. Yeah. Like it depends on format, depends on context. It depends on time. Like you've got a 30 second TV, sh TV spot. You can't do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you see car companies and the car companies are a good example. They spend their time talking about the products a lot. Because the problem is generally known, right? Like they don't need to spend a, a whole lot of time there. Yeah. Um, or they do it in other places, or they'll talk more about like their electric vehicles, for, for example, which is referencing a problem. Yeah. Um, so it's different. Uh, it just, I think it just all depends. And like Tesla, well, I don't think Tesla even really runs commercials, but their story, I think, is like, we're saving the world basically by taking everybody and everything electric and doing it in style. Like these things look great. They're fast. They're smooth. Yeah. 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 If they were to articulate it in a nutshell and that like goes along in line with their, their vision or their mission as a company, you know? Yeah. So yep. would you say that those two things are like always, like always need to be aligned, like whatever your, mission and your vision are should be like kind of the core component of your story well that's a good question um i think my short answer is yes and there's a longer version where your short where your mission or vision might be your 10 or 20 year thing yeah and so like it's great to have a 10 or 20 year mission or vision, but it has to be applicable today. And yeah. most often, especially with startups, as an example, like you are nowhere near delivering on your mission. And so, you know, your story should likely reference it. At least some of the values or the benefits of uh, this future world that you describe, but it also has to include what you can actually deliver. Uh, like what are you, what problem are you solving now uh, in the real world? not just what sort of hypothetical thing you might be able to solve 10 years from now because that's not actionable yeah i really like frameworks and templates like fill in the blank style templates to make things easier yeah but do you do you think that uh if most companies were to go say go to their website and change out the language like say the home uh, on the homepage, instead of being like, you know, best financial modeling software for banks, right? Yeah. Instead of that, to start the sentence with we're on a mission to, and then eradicate this 
um, this painful problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is that always a step in the right direction? Do you think you're still talking about yourself because you're saying our mission, but like yeah. we're on a mission to yep. transform financial models in the banking system or something. Yep. I mean, I would never say always because like the answer is always, it depends. Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, however, I would probably say just no, because then you're making it about you. Yeah. Um, like, like as soon as you say we, uh, story is about you. Yeah. Um, and if you're trying to communicate that you solve a particular problem, can't make it about you. Yeah. Like your mission statement. Yeah. Should that be on your website? Probably should it, you know, help clarify like why you do what you do. Yeah, probably. Um, but I think most companies and websites are just examples, right? Uh, I think most companies tend to focus on sort of features and functionality as opposed to problems. Um, and you know, I, I go to lots of websites where I look at it and it's a beautiful description of a feature that I have no idea if it's helpful to me or not. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that requires a lot more work on my part and God, I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, customer problems are a good place to start, I think, at least from a website, but it, it also de just depends on service you provide, who your customers are, what your price points are, how we're known in the market you are. I mean, there's just a ton of different variables. Yeah. So at what point in your career trajectory, uh, did this become like your superpower? Like where, where did you learn this back in the mobile ad days or did you just learn this at? More recently at Flex, like when did yeah, this? Yeah, more recently at Flex. I don't, and I don't know that this is my superpower, by the way. Um, I tend not to, I'm not sure I have any of those, but uh, it, I've been lucky to have like really great mentors and uh, bosses who have helped sort of shape my worldview. Um, but it's been, it's been more recent. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, story is an important part of all of our lives. Yeah. And it's the recognition of that that is the most important and the willingness to say like, okay, once you get the story right, you have to repeat it consistently and clearly every single time, or at least portions of it every single time. Like that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. Um, like there's a, there, there's a whole bunch of frameworks and templates for storytelling. Anybody can go find those, but it's like how you apply them. So let me give you an example. Um, so one of the key things that you see a lot of marketer use, marketers use is uh, messaging frameworks. And those yeah. messaging frameworks are often a uh, Excel spreadsheet. They have columns that say like features. And then below that, they will say benefits. And they over here, it'll be like value proposition, blah, whatever. Yeah. And those are fine, but they're all, they, they, exist without context <laughs> they yeah. exist without a problem they exist without story and so when you when you have those it's really hard to find places to use them without it coming across you're just talking about yourself all the time right so we actually don't use those at all and we haven't for a long time um because of that that exact problem it's just like okay well these are just my messages like who cares no one cares about this um yeah. So we, we stopped using that stuff entirely. All right. Well, um, so let's talk about flex a little bit. Okay. Uh, any parting, any last words on, uh, brevity and good story before we, before we transition over to flex. Um, any party, I, I, or, I wouldn't like. Yeah, I, I think the important part about brevity is to be clear. And some part, some, sometimes being clear means not being brief. And you need to expand, you need to use more words, um, but you need to be thoughtful about that. Uh, and, you know, the other, the other piece of this, and this is nuance, is that uh, when you write, you know, there's lots of sort of cliches. Paul Graham uh, is, is one of the most widely referenced. Like writing is the process 
by which you recognize you don't know what you think you know, or you don't understand something well enough, right? And I think that's true. But the other part is like really understanding like how a reader reads and how they're going to engage with your content. And so I always recommend people like read what they're writing out loud, because if you read it out loud and you're too brief uh, or you have too many punchy sentences, then it's like, it's just not good. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're like writing like walls of text and read it out loud, you, you want to jump off a bridge afterwards like oh my god i'm boring myself right yeah so that's an easy just like personal check of like does this make sense this work yeah so okay sweet so um talk to me about flex tell me uh seems like you've just been getting like promoted on like clockwork basically every year um how long have you been in the svp marketing role um i wouldn't say i've been get, getting promoted every year but that's nice for you to say that um, so I've been at Flex for, you know, almost eight years now. Um, and I've owned a variety of different things from, um, I, I started as sort of like a jack of all trades guy who just needed to do a bunch of stuff. And I had done a lot of it. Yeah. And so, um, because my background is varied across uh, sales and marketing and product, I could come in and do a variety of different things. So I've owned everything from our SDR team. I owned sales ops pretty unsuccessfully for a little bit. I owned partnerships, like marketing, and then just more recently over the last four years, I shouldn't even say recently, over the last four plus years, I've, I've focused my my time and energy uh, almost exclusively exclusively on marketing. And that's largely because we've hired other people who are experts in those things to run those. Yeah. Um, to run you were employee groups. number? I have no idea. Um, somewhere between five and 15 i don't okay. actually remember so uh, very early on yeah so very early really on in the startup yep. days that's right that's right so my memory is we had about eight people when i showed up there had been a couple yeah. who'd been there before and left um but i i don't actually know interesting two people who've been at flex longer than i have one is our ceo and founder um and a, another is a guy who started just a couple weeks before me so interesting uh, very cool I'm, I'm a long timer at this point and so i've I've been through each of the different stages of the business from like is this actually a thing to oh my gosh this might be a thing we we got to do <laughs> like we now actually have to make it work yeah um to you know we're we're we've now grown to a meaningful size over 400 employees um lots of revenue and big customers so um so it's been fun to be through each of the different various stages and uh you know, eight years is a long time, uh, but it's not nearly so long when the company changes every two years, like a totally different company. Yeah. And how, how are you guys doing it? Like what's your, how are you growing so quickly? Um, how are we growing so quickly? Like the reality is, and we've all been exposed to this, especially over the last three years is supply chain is difficult it's complicated it's messy and the world is changing more rapidly than it ever has in the past um so uh and you're getting sort of part of our story here like historically supply chain uh and consumer behavior is all pretty predictable right like uh for years and years and years if you wanted to buy something you would get in your car and you would go to the mall, you would go to the grocery store, you would go, you know, to some number of stores that had things you need to buy. Right. So we work that back in time. Uh, it's like, okay, well, cool. So supply chains were built to deliver things to those stores. <laughs> Maybe not every time, but it's close enough for purposes of this conversation. Um, and now you have, uh, a couple of different things happening. One, obviously, the internet and e-commerce has wildly changed humans' expectations. Um, two, you have uh, just the general movement of people, uh, which seems to be accelerating from, you know, uh, both uh, uh, in like the center of the country out and the in the coasts in. Like people are moving, they're changing locations, right? Like that has an impact. And then because of the complexity of the world, there's just so much more opportunity for disruption in a supply chain. So that can be from things like uh, COVID, which has massive impacts. That can be uh, as simple as things like ships getting stuck in the Suez Canal. 
Yeah. It can be uh, terrorized. It can be weather. Um, I mean, the reality is the weather has changed and there are more dramatic weather, weather events and those impact supply chains. Yeah. Um, and so all of those problems manifest uh, to creating big challenges for supply chains, especially big companies. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is, you know, we have continued to to build for our customers and solve their problems. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Like, can you solve my problem or not? Yeah. Um, so, and um, uh, how are you guys getting customers? Like, are they coming from mark from digital marketing mostly, or is it a lot of word of mouth or? Uh, so we are, you know, we sell to the enterprise and we have high ACVs. We don't use that term, but uh, colloquially, it's close enough. Um, so we are, we have an enterprise sales team. We have a BDA team, SDR function. Um, marketing provides air cover, provides ground support for um, the commercial team. We do, uh, we've been more active with like direct demand gen activities. Um, and have started to see that payoff as our as our brand awareness and just visibility in the market has increased. We've been able to focus more on that and see results. Yeah, um, but it's an enterprise sales motion, like hundred percent enterprise sales motion. Interesting. That's cool. So you do you got a lot of outbound going? It sounds like some yep. probably some ABM, like some yep. account based stuff. Yep. I mean, for the most part, like everything we do is ABM. <laughs> Like to some extent, uh, there's just the various levels of it, right? There's like, how targeted do we want to get? And we do do some single company ABM stuff, cool. um, uh, but also vertically oriented, right? Like there's a whole bunch of different tactics we'd play. Nice. So tell me a win story. I love win stories. Is Can you think of a campaign or any, any kind of marketing motion that you guys did uh, over the years that has just was a standout in terms of performance or in terms of impact? Yeah. Um, we have done, let me think about this for a second, or at least how I want to answer it. We can come back to that one if you want. No, I, I have an answer. I, I'm just trying to decide how I want to say it. I'm sure you uh, you must have uh we do just not that. yeah yeah so you know this is a really good question and i think like yes we have some win stories where we have done um integrated campaigns, which is part of our motion where we run uh, a set of marketing plays combined with pr um combined with thought leadership combined with events combined with sales activity and, and those tend to work um, and we've had some really big successes with those, uh, uh, frankly, but they're super unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Like it is impossible to know. And we've had, uh, ideas that I thought for sure were going to deliver for us and they fall flat on their face. Um, and that's okay. Uh, I think the important thing is you have to be comfortable with just two hey, this is going to sound cheesy, but you just have to be comfortable doing the right things repeatedly over a long period of time. Like I, I there is, and be willing to kill the things um, that are providing value. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about this really still working. Should we not do this anymore? Mm -hmm. uh, just because we did it a year ago, doesn't mean we should do it today. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I think that's how you win in the long run. It's just consistency and repeatability and having a really high bar for what goes out the door mm. uh, to push your story. And sometimes yeah. you're going to get lucky and you're going to hit with a campaign and that's upside. Um, but it's really, in my opinion, it's the day-to-day -day that is really what's going to drive you over the long term. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And Getting like really busy with activities is one of the easiest thing to do, uh, things to do as a marketer. Like there's just so much to do all the time. Yep. You know, it can be sneaky and really easy to just slip into this trap of like busyness. And I'm just like busy all the time, meeting and calls and yeah. Like when am I actually doing the marketing? 
Yep. Yeah. It's a really hard problem. Um, and it is in all of our nature to end up there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it requires you to like be really thoughtful. Like, are we, is this really helping? Like, are we yeah. really moving the ball forward? And so, you know, we are, uh, and I am pretty particular about like what we set as our, our objectives, uh, what we define as our priorities, and then, you know, what we define as the things we aren't going to do. Um, and I think that list of what you aren't going to do is the most important part. Yeah. Uh, because it gives people a framework for how do I make a decision about whether I should spend time on this particular thing or not? Yeah. Um, and if you've answered that question already, then you sort of free people up from having to make all these sort of like micro day-to-day decisions. Is this important? Is it not? Yeah. We've already said it's not. Don't do that. <laughs> or yes, we've said this is important. Please do that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, that's one of the hard parts about being a leader of any team, regardless of marketing or not, is just having clarity for what, what are the priorities and what are the priorities. Totally, yeah. And then as priorities shift, it's like, you know, the CEO just emailed me like, guys, we got to do this thing. And then they're like, but wait, didn't you just tell me to do this thing? Like, yeah, I'm confused. Yeah. But yeah, okay, yeah. let's put that on hold. Yeah. Um, I get it, man. What are you guys uh, challenged by? Like, what are some of the challenges that you're struggling with? Yeah. Except well, too many um, you know, I think we are. Huh. There, like one, the market right now is obviously hard. It's hard for everybody. Um, So uh, I think we are, and it has flipped really fast, (laughs) right? So that requires you to reprioritize pretty quickly, especially from a message perspective. Like we went pretty quick from like uh, growth messaging to like cost savings messaging, right? Like that's, Mm. that's a big shift for people. So that's one thing. The second thing is just the reality that buying behavior changes really fast. Um, and, you know, a channel or a tactic that worked six months ago just doesn't work in the same way. Yeah. Um, or a campaign that we ran three months ago has sort of run out of steam and we don't think there's any opportunity to push it. I'm just giving examples. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there is there's never a shortage of like what's hard, uh, but it always comes back to, at least in my opinion, of like being clear about what the story is yeah. and being flexible on how you execute it um, in the market. And so your tactics and channels may change consistently. Uh, what can't change is the story and uh, how you're trying to help customers, um, yeah. but how they buy or how they engage is going to change. That, yeah. that, is, that is always hard. Totally. Yeah. And, um, the same thing happened in our business too. Like, you know, pre pandemic, especially it was all about growth. Even during the pandemic, a lot of it was about growth and capture market share. But today, like everybody's in cost savings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we have always been, uh, somewhat conservative, like in how we think about, uh, what we're going to spend on. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's really just being thoughtful about like, is this the right thing to do? Do we think we're going to get the return on it? Uh, is it going to advance our story in some way, shape or form? Yes. Yeah. If it is, then we should do it. Um, if it's not, we should be thoughtful about, <laughs> should we do something else or should we, should we just kill this? Yeah. And what do you guys consider? Cause I imagine it's a pretty long selling cycle in your world, like yep. three months, six months months 12 months can be long yeah so and that's really challenging right like how do you uh tie that back after so much time um but what do you consider so like if you put you know a campaign into market and i know there's a lot of variables right but just like all things equal if you put a campaign into market and say you spend five thousand bucks or ten thousand bucks whatever that number is um what what kind of like what's your minimum required thing metric whatever that is like after yep. 30 days or 60 days where you like how do you make that call at that point yep yeah so so we actually don't 
uh, attribute or try not to attribute single campaigns or single activities back to revenue. Um, because, because we're enterprise and because it's, it can take a long time, we think more just about like influence and engagement. Um, and so we'll often look more at like, are we driving engagement with this particular piece of content or this particular campaign? And if the answer is yes, then we should do it more. If the answer is no, then we should reassess. Um, because we recognize that it's not going to be, we're going to do a campaign that's going to turn into a lead. That's going to turn into an opportunity and that's going to close. Like that's not just not how it works for us. Um, sometimes it does, uh, and it'd be great (laughs) if that were always true, but it's just not. Um, and so, you know, it comes back to just being thoughtful about an understanding that it's not one thing that's ever going to push something over the line. It's a a whole combination of stuff from humans, from marketing activity, like they all help. Um, but it's just one part of the puzzle. So I think and when like, you say engagement, do you mean like clicks, click through rate type of thing or? Yeah, could. So we, you know, we do probably not dissimilar to lots of companies. We attach points to different actions a customer or prospect might take from opening an email all the way up to downloading a report all the way up even further to calling us or, you know, submitting a form because they want to talk to sales. And so as those, as those engagement points change, uh, especially in relation to a particular campaign, we can get a sense of whether or not something's working. Mm. Uh, Well, a lot of those are, um, they're kind of lead metrics, right? Because yeah, like nobody would have opened an email if they hadn't opted in unless it was like, like a cold outbound email. Yeah. Or like nobody yep. would, like if somebody hadn't, if somebody downloaded a report, say, then by definition, they would have already be, been a lead or that would be become yep. a lead. Yep. Yeah. Do you have, um, this is actually just related to something I was thinking about before, but do you guys use any pre-conversion signals or do you assign any points to any pre-conversion signals? Pre-conversion, um, meaning like website visits, like intent data. Anonymous. Yeah, like anonymous. Yeah. Yep, we do. At the anonymous yep. points. Yeah, we do. We do at the account level. Um, that gets really hard for obvious reasons. Um, but we, we absolutely do that. And so uh, we try to understand, like recognizing that there's probably a big margin of error. We'd like it to be smaller. <laughs> um yeah. And so we, we do measure uh, anonymous traffic and anonymous intent as a representation of what an account is thinking about. And yeah. then we try to convert that into uh, non-anonymous anonymous activity engagement, yeah. um, either with a, a human you know, sales or uh, through marketing efforts. Yeah. The reason that got me thinking was because um, I'm looking at this tool right now which it basically does like lead scoring models for anonymous visitors uh-huh. based on many many thousands of data points and many many thousands of historic sessions so like if you if you go back through hundreds of thousands or millions of web sessions and you can pin, and you can identify like which ones were the best or which ones you know had the highest propensity to do blank uh it apparently just like analyzes many signals all in real time to predict who the best uh, visitors will be. And then it pipes that data back to the ad platform. So like LinkedIn, for instance, could see, okay, you know, from these thousand visitors, like these six have a high propensity to convert. Yeah. Um, because sometimes we have clients, like especially B2B clients that are doing a lot of smaller campaigns, like they're not necessarily generating the dozens or the hundreds of leads that you need to generate, like in a 30-day period to really signal back to the algorithm to train on what's quality. Yeah. So yeah. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, I mean, you know, we have a wide and varied uh, tech stack some of which tries to account for some of that. I think it's really hard, especially when you have small, a small set of accounts or a small-ish number of humans. Like when you're in a consumer business, it's a lot easier, right? And you can run lookalikes and there's a whole bunch of different things you can do. Uh, yeah. 
it's harder in a B2B setting. Yeah, I would say for sure. Because your audience is just so, so hard to reach. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, but it's also easier to gain like a large share of mine within that right. smaller audience pool. That's right. I mean, it's less expensive. Yeah. 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 I guess it depends um, sometimes. If they're very senior, it's not less expensive. <laughs> what's your tech stack? What, what are you guys using? Salesforce, Marketo, Sixth Sense? Uh, we use some version. Yes. Uh, we don't use Marketo. Um, uh, but we use Salesforce. We use Pardot. We use Sixth Sense. Uh, we use a variety of others. Interesting. How long have you been on Sixth Sense? It's been re- recently. Oh. Just recently. Does Salesforce have their own version of Sixth Sense? What Sixth Sense is like a customer data platform. Like, what category do you put that in? Uh, like I think ten? a lot of categories. I don't know. I haven't thought deeply about it. So I don't know. I can give you an answer to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, I we could put it in ad tech. We could cu- put it in predictive analytics. We could just put it because <laughs> it's like kind uh, of like data platform. And it's all, it's almost like a DMP or not a DMP, but like a DSP, like you can run yeah. ads through it also. Yeah. yeah. That's one of our main use cases is for advertising. Interesting. Cool. Um, when you guys looked at Sixth Sense, did you look at other things too, or did you basically just find Sixth Sense and go with it? Uh, the demand gen team did look at a variety of options and their recommendation was Sixth Sense. Um, so that's the part that I was involved in. I got it. That makes sense. Yeah, because they do. They have like that engagement uh, metric, which they just call it engagement. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Cool. Are you guys liking it? So I mean, far? we just started, uh, but I think I'm excited about the opportunities uh, that it hopefully provides for us. I don't know. I don't know that I could give you an answer today. Yeah, <laughs> not just yet. Like it's been a couple months. Gotcha. Cool, Ryan. Well. Uh, this was great. Congratulations, by the way. I didn't mention, I saw you guys raised um, a nice round uh, last year, a Series right. D round. Yeah. So yeah, congratulations on that. Um, you want to go to the lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. So question number one, as always, if you were to start a side hustle, what side hustle would that be? I would not start a, start a side hustle. <laughs> and... Uh, the That's reason for that is I am uh, more than busy enough with my uh, current job and I've got a family and kids and uh, my goal in life is not to uh, work all the time. <laughs> like there you a go. finite amount of time in the world and I would prefer to spend as much of it as I can with the people closest to me. Uh, I get no, I get no emotional benefit out of doing stuff like that. So yeah, don't. cool. Well, that I would say is a legitimate answer. I've never had that answer. Before, <laughs> I'll take it. Um, next up, top three books or authors or influencers that have had an impact on you. Yep. So uh, I have read. This isn't a lightning round answer, but I'm going to give it anyway. Like, I feel like I've read like every marketing book and I feel like I'm always like wildly disappointed because they are all done in hindsight. And it is never, ever true that what worked for somebody else will, will work for you. And so uh, I stopped reading most like business specific books and tend to read more um, like sort of mental model framework books. So I really liked Principles uh, by Ray Dalio. I have liked all of Annie Duke's books, which is all about sort of decision-making and, and, and mental models. Um, and then I'll give you a third one, which is not a business book, um, but it's my favorite book of all time, which is Lonesome Dove. And the reason that Lonesome Dove, it just goes back to the first part of our conversation, that it is probably the greatest story ever told uh, with the uh, character development to Mary. And so like, as someone who cares deeply about writing and story, I think that is a really good example of just like a perfectly executed story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd put that in my top three. Um, okay. And then I'll give you some awesome. add-on answers. I think uh, like there's a whole bunch of uh, like the Knowledge Project podcast, I think is really good. And I listen to a lot. Um, 
uh, because it just has a variety of people and how they think about the world, which I always think is super beneficial. The Knowledge Project. Yep. Cool. Yep. I'll check that out. Yeah, I like stuff like that too. I love frameworks and, and mental model type stuff. Yep. Yep. Cool. And finally, what do you do to avoid burnout and to help your team avoid burnout? Yep. So I, uh, I've been doing this for long enough uh, that I recognize that when I'm good and when I'm not good. And so, uh, one, two, I also recognize that my priority in life is not to work a hundred hours a week. Yeah. Um, it's to be around the people that I care about. And so I, I set a pretty strict schedule for myself. Um, so that's one way to avoid burnout. Sometimes it oscillates, goes up or down. Yeah. Um, uh, and you, as part of that, I have to be okay and comfortable with the fact there's just some things aren't going to get done. And uh, there is no shortage of things to do that will always be true. You can't do them all and you just got to accept it. So that's one of the ways I avoid burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I hope that I help the team avoid burnout by uh, being clear about what we're not going to do and not and deprioritizing things. Um, I think I, I think and know I can be better at that. Um, because it's, it's hard. Um, but we, we try to optimize for the people and making sure that they're in a good place so that they can do their best work. Yeah. Um, uh, we're not perfect at it. Just like I'm not perfect at it for myself, but we try. I feel you. Well, that's about as good as answer as any. Well, Ryan, thank you so very much uh, for being here today. Uh, to the listeners, thank you for being here as well. If you learned something today or if you laughed a little, tell a friend about it. Um, Ryan, if you, uh, if people here are interested to learn more about you or Flex, where would you direct them? Uh, if to learn more about Flex, you can visit our website, flex.com, um, or you can find me on LinkedIn, probably the best place. Yep. And that's Flex with an E. So F L E X E.com. That's right. Cool. Well, Ryan, stick around um, for everybody at home listening. Thanks again. This has been another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. We'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.